Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Elaborate Topics. I am your leadership mentor and coach, Tywana Wilson, for this episode. And guess what? I have an amazing guest with me today, which I am super excited about. Our amazing guest is Miss Eve Brunson. Hi, Eve. How are you? Great, Tawana. How are you? I am well. I am excited to have you here in the studio with us. It has been a long time coming. Yes, it has. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, audience, I actually met Eve at the ASCP annual meeting a few years ago. And so on this show, you know, we always talk about networking and meeting new people. And Eve is one of those laboratorians that I was fortunate enough to meet. Let me tell you, you'll see it in the show notes, but she has so many initials and credentials behind her name. I can't even say them all. (laughs) I call it alphabet soup. But she does hold a a master's of science and an MBA. She is an MLS, ASCP, and an SBB. She's passionate about the medical lab science community. She's an educator. In 2017, she founded QMedics, the first and only full-service workforce development firm dedicated to medical laboratory professionals which we will get into some of the amazing training that her organization offers. Her career spans over 30 plus years of progressive experience as a medical laboratory scientist, blood bank specialist, reference lab supervisor, director of leadership development for federal employees, staff college administrator for the FDA, SBB program director, workforce development director of a corporate university of a federal agency. Listen, Eve has done a lot of things in a lot of different environments. So this lady definitely knows what she is talking about. And then just to give you a little bit about her firm, QMedics, it offers products that includes her Beyond the Bench series that's devoted to leveraging your ASCP credentials and other STEM and non-STEM career funnels from scientist to supervisor, her leadership management in the movie series, as well as some of her uh, ASCP, MLT and MLS certification bootcamp courses. So listen, Eve is somebody you need to make sure that you connect with. I know that was a mouthful for me, but Eve, tell the listeners more so about who you are and your journey, and why do you do what you do today as it relates to laboratory medicine? Absolutely. Well, first, I'm humbled to be on the program, and I want to thank you, uh, Tawana, for reaching out to me at ASCP. Um, as busy as we are with as medical professionals, um, sometimes we 
it takes a while for us to get out, you know, because we uh, have so much work to do um, in the office and the lab. So one of the things I will say is generally um, with this webinar um, and with your hosting, it's really important for us to connect and remain connected to each other. Um, one of the things that I will tell you about is that I am crazy about the lab. And I feel like the medical laboratory sciences is the most versatile and one of the most amazing STEM opportunities as it relates to a career. There are so many things that we can do um, leveraging and using the information and the knowledge that we have. And I would go so far to say that we have really only touched a little bit of it. Uh, one of the things that I thought about, especially as I've seen the, the saga of Theranos play out with uh, Elizabeth Holmes, and it just boggles my mind a little bit how, how that scenario actually played out the way it did. Because we know as medical laboratory sciences, scientists that you know a lot of the stuff that she was saying could not possibly happen right but because <laughs> there was no one like us at the table and there was no one like us in that sphere of influence when everything was happening you know that was uh the, the fraud was able to perpetuate itself where you know here you have a company that's worth billions of dollars but generally the technology doesn't work we could have told her right we could have told her, say, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> this is not going to work. But right. I think for me, that really brought home that we need to be at the table. And the only way we can get a seat at the table is that we're going to have to branch out. As much as I love the lab, as much as I love blood banking, I realized early in my career that I had to take what I'd learned and the knowledge and this amazing profession, and I had to be a committee of one and apply for some of those jobs where, where it didn't really call for a laboratorian, but it called for the science that I knew. And when I walked into that opportunity and I was able to share, because a lot of people who have interviewed me for positions outside the lab have no idea what a clinical laboratory scientist is. They have no idea what a medical technologist is. When you when I say I'm a blood banker, they look at me like, well, you mean what, Chase? I mean, what, what do you do? <laughs> you know? And so I've taken it upon myself because I'm a natural um, teacher and I'm, I, 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 I have a natural inclination for instruction, I found myself having to educate people about uh, what I do, and I've had the opportunity to educate with passion. And I think that's one of the things that has propelled me through my career and has awarded me to have some amazing seats, even at the upper echelons of, um, of federal agencies, is because I bring the passion um, and I'm passionate about the clinical laboratory sciences and what we provide, but also I want to show everyone else what an amazing profession this is. And that has always been, been my calling. Uh, for me, with the establishment of QMedics, I wanted to do that um, in my own way. And so that's one of the reasons why 
I founded Humedics is because I wanted to continue to push our uh, industry. Yes, we diagnose, yes, we work in the lab, but our training and our knowledge goes so much far beyond just running tests. You know, and anyone can tell you who's listening to this podcast can tell you, yeah, I had to tell uh, a physician or I had to remind a physician how to do X, Y, and Z, or, you know, I had to problem solve this because this patient was in surgery and they kept giving me the wrong sample. Or, you know, I had to think about how to present this piece of information to nurses and other allied health professionals so that we could actually help the patient get the care that they need. So while we're not directly related, um, we don't see the patient every day. I think that one of the callings that we have, especially um, now, since there are so many um, unique um, uh, threats to our to our profession, we need to be louder and we need to not be afraid to share who we are, what we are, and the value that we provide to the overall patient care team. Because without us, there would be no diagnosis. Without us, sometimes there would be no treatment. 80% of all of the diagnosis that physicians make with their patients, they originate in the laboratory. That is huge. And so moving forward, um, one of the things that uh, has really propelled me in my career is just being able to explain what I do and being proud of what I do and inviting people on a journey to learn what we do so that they can have that same appreciation for us as well. Absolutely. And you can definitely tell that you are passionate about the laboratory. You can hear it in your voice. And it does make a difference when you are talking with colleagues and friends of the laboratory, how you talk about what you do and how you present what you do will make a difference on the 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 hearer of your of your word. So I, I'm glad that you you know, have that passion for our beloved industry. And Absolutely. you have, yeah, and you have taken that passion and been able to continue to train and lead others, which is awesome. We are faced at a critical time with, we have shortages of lab professionals and we are, you know, using alternate pathways and getting people that maybe don't have a traditional laboratory background in the industry. Can you talk to us about your ideals for career expansion for laboratory professionals? And what exactly does that look like? Because this seems to be the big question for, seems like any organization that you talk to, how do we combat the shortage? How do we get people interested in the field? Where do we start? How do we get people engaged and and retained in the industry? So I'm interested to hear your thoughts about it. Absolutely. And Tawana, this is the elephant in the room. <laughs> you know, this is, everyone is talking about it. Everybody is, well, people may not be really talking about it directly, but I can tell you, um, that uh, as a faculty member of an MLT um, program recently, I it is, it is something that faculty struggles with. Um, it affects every area of the lab. I don't think any area of the lab um, 
is untouched by the critical shortage that we um, are experiencing. But I got to tell you, um, one of the things that uh, I have uh, started to realize is that this problem that we find ourselves in, um, and I want to say, yes, it's a problem, but it's also an opportunity. This is an amazing opportunity. And it's all in the way that we handle it as um, medical technologists, especially as um, supervisors, managers, um, those people at the table that are making some decisions. So when I came into the field about 30 years ago, the problem at that time, we still had a recognition problem, people pretty much recognizing what we do and the value that we provide to patient care and uh, to allied health medicine in general. But one of the things that I think uh, we need to improve on is being vocal about what we do and teaching people the value. So one of the things that, um, one of the series that I am offering as part of QMedics is called From Scientist to Supervisor and Beyond the Bench. And one of the sticking points that my students uh, tell me when they're graduating is the pay. You know, as much as we know, let me, let me just share a little bit about um, how we compare as it relates to our training to other allied health professionals. And I'm not throwing shade on nurses or cardiovascular techs or, you know, radiologists. I mean, everybody has their cue and what they provide um, for the patient experience. And thank God we have them, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I find that other professionals um, were, are able to do, and maybe because they are in closer proximity to the patient than we are. When I tell people I work in the laboratory, the first thing they say is, oh, you draw blood. And then I laugh at them. I said, you don't really want me to draw your blood. <laughs> I haven't drawn blood in a minute. In fact, phlebotomists are a subset of the clinical laboratory sciences. They're an, they're an important part, but that really is not what we do. We have to take organic a year of organic chemistry. We have to take a year of biochemistry. We take a full year of anatomy and physiology. We take a full year of uh, general bio. Uh, some schools require, in addition to statistics, which is a higher level math, we actually have to take algebra. And then we have to take all of the other liberal art prerequisites. Who else takes those kinds of courses? and come out of school making $25, $26 dollars an hour. You know, um, mm -hmm. there are a lot of professionals who take lesser amount of math, uh, takes an easier set of sciences, they take survey of chemistry instead of organic or general chemistry. And one of the things I think we need to do, um, and one of the things that I want, that, I, that I'm planning to address with QMedics is talking about how we need to negotiate for ourselves. We can't depend on someone else to say, hey, you know what, those people in the lab, you know, they work really hard, you know, and do you realize how much training they have and the certifications they have to go through and the quality assurance that is required? And, you know, do you can you understand CLIA 88 and the Food and Drug Cosmetic Act and 
you know, the Public Service Health Act and all of these things that actually impact our daily lives um, and how we do our job, we, we need to be able to know how to negotiate our worth. And I think we have, um, over the years, have accepted what has been given to us instead of us demanding what we deserve. And one of the reasons why I wanted to start QMedics is because what I saw in my students, what I imparted in my students, I would like to share with everyone in the laboratory industry. And this is, and this, is this, when you go up for a job and you feel like you deserve uh, an X amount of salary, in addition to showing your new employer what kind of value you bring, you have to be firm and you have to know how to negotiate that interaction. And one of the things that I worked with my students with um, when I was in uh, MLT uh, faculty is how to say no, how to get up and walk away. And during my career, I've actually had to do that. Um, there were a couple of jobs in my career where um, I felt that my, um, after they found out what I could do for the job, they lowballed me and I had to make a decision. And anytime that you're negotiating for a job and you say, you know, that salary is too low for me, or I was expecting more salary based upon X, Y, and Z, um, you always put yourself out there that your employer may say, mm, nope, I'm not going to do that. But I got to say, in both times that I negotiated uh, uh, assertively for myself and for my worth, that the employer, after looking at all the evidence, decided, yep, she's worth that. And as a result, gave me what I asked for. So at this point, we're at a critical stage in our identity, but I think we're also at a critical stage because a lot of students who come into the field, um, they leave after a couple of years because the workload is too, hot, is too high and they feel like they're not being recognized um, or monetized in a way that they can support their family on 40 hours a week. There's some students I know that are working two jobs because they have um, they have um, educational loans they have to pay off uh, and school was expensive and they have living expenses. I know some students are looking to travel. They actually went straight into becoming a traveling tech because that's where the most money is. But here's the thing, no one can really travel forever. There comes a point in time where you want to put down roots, right? Um, it looks good sometimes, but for the most part, people um, like stability. And so our reliance on, on other ways to get people into the lab, I think is short term. I think we need to look long term and see how we can uh, make the lab more attractive to uh, high schoolers, uh, bring them into the lab. Um, I know there's a lot of programs where uh, there is a high school to associate's degree pipeline where high schoolers can actually come in, take their prerequisites, spend some time um, working on their associate's degree. And by the time they graduate from high school, they also have an associate's degree. That would be amazing if we could actually figure out how to do that for the MLT field. 
that would be getting out of school at 18 years old and already be established as a laboratory scientist working in patient care. You know, how cool is that? Um, and so I'm hoping that with a lot of things that are happening in education, that uh, everyone, it's not just the supervisors, it's not just the laboratory directors, it's not just the pathologists, but every laboratory scientist, where they're associates, MLT, phlebotomist, or even uh, the specialist, um, will take it upon themselves to say, hey, you know what, um, this responsibility starts and ends with me. I'm going to share how I made it through. And guess what? I am going to demand the, um, the salary and the work environment that I need so that I can be a, um, not so much a mentor, but someone that others can look up to to say, hey, I like how she's working. I like um, the job that she's in or he's in, and I want to be like them. That's where I want to see us go. I want to see, um, you know, 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds saying, hey, you know, my aunt is a medical laboratory scientist, and, I'm, and I love how passionate she is, and she shows me some really cool stuff about science. I want to be like her when I grow up. And look, she can support her family. She can do all these wonderful things. Her workforce, her work-life balance is great. I think that's some of the things that we need to work on. Are we there yet? No. But I also think there's a lot of opportunity to get us there. Yeah, I think you mentioned a lot of great points, especially that advocacy part of us advocating for ourselves first. I do get that a lot when people reach out to me in regards to pay and inequities and looking at other professions and how we uh, kind of stack out against some of those other professions. I also get a lot of uh, questions from laboratorians about career opportunities. They often feel that it's limited in scope. And can you share with the listeners a little bit about your thoughts on uh, career development and finding a job that you love because most people tend to think they get in this field, they go into traditional hospital laboratory, they work first, second, or third shift in, you know, blood bank or as a generalist or in micro. And that's all that they feel that this profession offers. And we both know that there are plenty of opportunities available in this field, but what are your thoughts about it, especially as you work with students who are just entering the field? Well, Tawana, you asked the a million dollar question <laughs> because one of the things that I share with students and, and some of my clients um, that I work with uh, is that like everyone else, I thought the same thing. What you said is exactly what I thought. And I realized about two years after I graduated with my MLS, because I actually went through a two plus two program. So I received my certification as an MLT first um, and uh, during my second year of college. And then I returned to school to finish my MLS degree. And one of the, one of the lectures that I start off with my students, and I actually am starting a, a series called Beyond the Bench where we take a look at other uh, jobs outside of the lab 
and looking at how we can leverage um, our MLS and our MLT certification to uh, um, actually gain those opportunities. I tell the story, I'm gonna share a few stories. I tell the story of myself when I was working um, as a blood banker and uh, just recently got my SVB and I wanted to figure out what was next. One of the things I knew is that uh, I didn't see myself 10, 15 years still working in the laboratory. Um, and it's not because laboratory work is bad, it's just that I felt like I had so many other assets and I had so many other experiences that I wanted to, to experience and learn and know. I wanted to become a leader, I wanted to manage, I wanted um, to educate. And as, as much as I wanted to stay in the lab, I knew that I would probably have to go out into um, the healthcare field in general and, and navigate my way to see if I could actually find those types of opportunities. And so that's what I did. A lot of times um, when I went to uh, get these jobs, um, my father would say, well, when I, um, when I became the educational manager for the Food and Drug Administration, I actually worked for the Center for Veterinary Medicine. And my father sat me down when I got the job, he sat me down and he's like, can you tell me how you actually got that job? <laughs> he says, you are a blood banker but you are now actually the education manager for people who approve, for veterinarians who approve animal drugs. And I tell them, I said, well, animals bleed too, <laughs> you know? And so being able to translate um, uh, an opportunity and, and speak the language, because we all can speak the language. As medical laboratory uh, technicians and scientists, I tell my students, the world is your oyster. Let them tell you no, okay? So I walked in with my uh, SBB and my MLS and they started talking science and I started talking science. It was the same way that I uh, was selected for um, the director of GPO University. GPO is the US government publishing office. But when I joined them back in 2008, they were still the US government printing office. Guess what? Printing people, they have ink, right? And ink is a chemical composition. And there is a science between how the ink is, is manufactured and the weight of the paper. So guess what? I just pulled my chemistry uh, MLS stuff off the bench and started talking uh, in chemical terms about the composition of ink and paper. And they were like, wow, okay, you knew this. And I was offered the job. Now looking on paper, you would think, oh, well, why would, it, why would an MLS be interested? Or even, why would they even talk to an MLS about that? So you have to put yourself into a situation and a scenario where you're given the opportunity to share with others who are looking to hire you your unique perspective on what you can provide in that opportunity. I gotta tell you, I have made six figures, close to $200,000 leveraging my ASCP SBB certification. And I would not have never gotten there had I not been confident, but also taking a risk. And you know what? 
they're not saying that they need my credentials, but I know I can talk the science. I know I have value. I know that I, with my unique uh, experience, I can provide something to this job that they have never seen before. And so you write up your um, your resume, you write up your, your, your cover letter to address those issues. So that's my first story. The second story, and I love to tell this story, is about a student of mine. Um, my student, she uh, loved the STEM, uh, uh, the sciences, and she was uh, tinkering around. She, she, she liked to make things work. And uh, before coming into the MLP program, she was tinkering around and looking at mechanical engineering. She just liked building things, okay? And um, she, she was a minority. And so she, the reason why she came into the MLT program is because her family was kind of feel, uh, pressuring her because they were like, well, you know, you're a woman, um, you're a woman of color. No one really is going to hire you as a medical, I mean, a mechanical engineer. Plus, it's going to take so much schooling. So why don't you see if you can find something to do really quickly so you can start making money for her family, right? And she came to me as a student, um, very shy, um, shy about her capability, but also just feeling um, a little bit of uh, depression, anxiety, but also not feeling very confident in herself. So after two years, toward the end of her time with me, where she was graduating and about to take her MLT exam, I gave this lecture about the world is your oyster. And telling uh, my students, you know, apply for the job and let the employer tell you no. Never cancel yourself out of a job. Well, guess what? She, after graduating from the MLT program, she worked briefly um, in the laboratory, about six months, just to kind of get her feet wet. But the longing for mechanical engineering still was with her. She saw a job for the US Patent and Trademark Office. And while she didn't have a degree as a uh, mechanical engineer, um, she had a lot of credit. And so she remembered what I told her about the world being your oyster and letting someone else tell you no, never cancel yourself out of a job. And she applied for it, not thinking anything about it. But guess what? With her unique skill set as a mechanical engineer, Plus, with her MLT certification, she landed a six-figure job with only six months of MLT experience um, approving devices uh, for use in the, uh, in the patient care area, working along with the FDA, the Center for Medical Devices. Um, a dream job, right? thinking that she would need a PhD or a master's in mechanical engineering or something like that. They hired her on the spot. Why? Because she was able to communicate that unique experience and leverage her MLT certification to say, you know what? I know you were thinking about a typical, a different type of skill set, but let me show you what I've learned. Let me show you what I have and let me show you what a unique perspective I can I can uh, demonstrate and how I can provide value in this position. And she's still working it today and she loves it. That's a story that just gives me goosebumps. 
because here it is, you have someone who was unsure about what they knew, and then you, you, you attach this wonderful STEM-drenched, um, uh, patient-care-centered uh, profession, you marry it together, and you come up with something so unique that when you explain it in the right way to employers, they are laughing it up. And I think that's what we need to do. So beyond the bench is actually looking like that. I currently am pulling down uh, jobs from Indeed and Glassdoor and all of these other um, uh, 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 networking sites. And I'm actually teasing out little pieces of, of job requirements that speak directly to laboratory scientists that people don't even um, that others in the field wouldn't, would, would, wouldn't even look to twice in, in thinking that, you know, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. The science that you know and the, uh, and the certification that you have make you even more qualified to have this job over someone else. And once people see that, it just opens and blows their mind because they're like, all of these jobs I could have been applying for and creating this unique um, beautiful career, and I told myself no because um, I put myself in the box. Let's get out of the box and let's move beyond the bench. The world is too big and the world is changing quickly. Technology is out there and we have a unique opportunity to grab hold to these new exciting careers, especially in big pharma and, and biotech. Pharma loves us. I was talking to the um, as uh, vice president of AstraZeneca not too long ago. They love medical laboratory scientists. Why? Because we come in already knowing how to pipette. We already come in knowing how to validate machines and, the, and knowing the importance of QC um, and safety and all of that. They don't have to teach that to us. They have to teach that to the postdocs. They don't have to teach that to us. And so, you know, we need to just broaden our horizon and move beyond the bench. So Beyond the Bench series is coming soon, um, and we'll talk about how to get plugged in, but definitely um, that is something that I feel very passionate about, and we need to move further past um, the conventional uh, cookie-cutter paths that others have, 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 have led the way and we need to actually craft our own. And it's very easy to do once we get outside of ourselves and take a look and really understand the pearl that we have to offer the healthcare industry. Absolutely, I love those stories. And I think that's powerful that you are talking with your students about there are other opportunities. I've mentioned this before on this show and probably at several uh, talks that I've done, but if it wasn't for an early mentor while I was still in school doing my clinicals that told me that a degree in medical laboratory science is versatile and it will open up many doors. And what she told me is that don't be limited to just what you see. With this degree, you can do more than working in an, a hospital laboratory uh, doing what you what you see today. And that nugget that she poured into me early on allowed me to know, and it's nothing wrong with working in a hospital or Absolutely. what you want to do for your whole career, but it was that nugget that she gave me early on that let me know that I could do 
anything. And so I know in a previous role for me, I was the director of a mobile diagnostics program where our uh, primary service line was screening mammography. And at the time that I got that opportunity, it was one of those things they were looking for somebody that was a radi, you know, had radiology experience by background, uh, had started a, a program from the ground up before. And I knew my worth, I knew my value, I knew my skills, and I was able to bring something to the table that they didn't even know that they were looking for. And so having that unique opportunity to start up a mobile uh, diagnostics program from the ground up, and I had never had a mammogram before. So yeah, so to be able to go into that industry where, you know, I was taking services to where women work and lived, uh, you know, was something that was amazing, but I could have counted myself out as, as you talked about earlier, because I didn't have the radiology, but as you talked about earlier, I did know what skills that I had and, and the value that I could bring. So I think that was important that you mentioned that while we definitely like for people to be, you know, in the hospital and, and help on that front, I think also allowing medical laboratory professionals the opportunity to, to benefit in different areas, I think is equally is important. You said it perfectly. I totally agree. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, and because, you know, the, the, uh, Tawana, you know, when we started, well, let me, let me just say me. <laughs> um, when we started out, you know, some years ago, uh, there, there was, I don't want to say there wasn't technology, but technology was different. Everything now, um, is infused with technology and with AI happening. I mean, that's really huge. Um, and with uh, all of the um, uh, diagnostics that we're using now has, has totally blown me away. Um, I would have never have imagined that we would be using something like Malditoff to identify, you know, bacteria, right? I mean, the, the science behind that is just, to me, still mind-boggling. But at the same time, because the science and the technology is moving so fast, I think there is a unique opportunity, especially for this generation and the, the previous generation, and I don't want to say Gen Zs or Gen Ys because I get mixed up, but um, for those coming into the field, because they're so comfortable with technology, um, there are a lot of jobs that are bleeding. And what I mean by bleeding, they, they're not just standard cookie cutter, you know, uh, typical jobs. These jobs in, uh, require uh, a unique skill set to be comfortable with tech, to be comfortable with, you know, um, molecular biology, to be comfortable with, you know, um, AI and a lot of other things that are happening. Uh, and I know for the older generation, it's a little, it causes a little bit of anxiety, but I think that in order for us to, to get to the point where we can have a career that is fulfilling for us, we have to embrace what's happening now. And what's happening now is, is everything is being infused 
with um, technology and we have to be comfortable with technology. And if that means taking a course in cybersecurity, you know, LIS systems need cybersecurity, you know, more than anything. We just heard recently about a hospital that um, was under, you know, a ransom attack. Um, so taking that MLS or that MLT and then adding something that you are interested in and then creating um, your skill set and, and being able to communicate your skill set in a unique way so that others can say, wow, okay, yeah, we were going to hire a radiologist, but Tawana here, she has, you know, so much more to offer. Um, and a skill set that we really didn't, we really weren't even aware about um, is something that I think we need to teach and instill those coming in and then offer continuing education to those who are currently in the field who are itching for something else. Everyone has um, a, 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 in addition to their, their certification, has a passion for something um, that may be able to be linked with their certification to offer a unique experience. And I think we just need to identify that, we need to cultivate it, and then figure out how we can make it work to uh, transform it into a career that we love. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I here's another question that I get asked often as well, because people sometimes feel like getting additional degrees and certification will provide them an outlet or additional opportunities. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I think it too depends on how you position your unique uh, skills and what is your value proposition to organizations or future employers. So I know one of the set of letters that you have behind your name is SBB, the specialist in blood banking. And those of us in the laboratory know this is very difficult to obtain, but it is highly desirable for those that are in the transfusion medicine space. So as you think about some of the additional certifications, who do you think those certifications are appropriate for in regards to like career pathway, specifically thinking about SBB. So there's somebody out there listening and they're thinking maybe I want an SBB, but they're really not sure how that will position them for additional opportunities and if it's even worth the uh, investment that they put into it. Absolutely. Um, so let me just tell you a, a, another story. <laughs> Um, about how I became an SBB. When I, uh, when I was in MLT and MLS school, I struggled. I struggled badly. Um, and here's the thing. I didn't come into college um, thinking I was going to struggle. I was the valedictorian of my eighth grade class. Uh, you know, I was a pretty good student, um, graduated from high school um, with a 3.75 GPA and then entered college. But let me tell you what happened. Um, so while education was really important in my family, um, I was the first uh, person in my family to go to college. Uh, I'm African-American. And my parents, especially my mother, struggled with reading. In fact, she was dyslexic um, and she was not diagnosed. 
Um, and so I learned at an early age how to read because I was uh, essentially um, with my mother helping her navigate life um, and not knowing how to read. She had a reading level of about a fourth grader. Um, she made sure that I had a really good education. But here's the thing. Sometimes when we graduate and move from schools, the standard of schools are different. And um, I'm really concerned about how the recent uh, Supreme Court ruling will affect uh, secondary education and, and, and other areas of learning only because um, all education is not created equal. And while I did very well in my school, it didn't really set me up for a STEM-related career. So when I landed in college, I struggled with trying to catch up to my peers um, because the school that I came from um, in my early years didn't really set the foundation that I needed to be able to do math, higher math, um, to problem solve, and to be able to apply um, different scenarios to come up with new and novel um, uh, ideas. And because of that, I struggled with blood bank. And I tell anyone, blood bank is one of the hardest um, concepts to learn. And I almost failed blood bank as an MLT. The reason why I fa almost failed it is because I could not wrap my brain around the concept of immunoglobulins and antibodies. It was, it was very foreign to me. I didn't understand how they work. I didn't understand how this, pro, this protein was able to recognize antigen and you know attach and all this stuff was supposed to happen. That was just totally foreign to me. And because I worked so hard at understanding um, uh, blood banking, I fell in love with it. And, the, and shortly after graduating with my MLS, I decided that's where I wanted to be. Blood banking isn't for everyone because anytime you go into a blood bank, you don't know what you're going to get. You may get a sickle cell patient who has five antibodies and needs to be transfused. You may have a woman who hasn't had any prenatal care and you do her antibody workup and she has an anti-U. That happened to me in a community blood bank. And she needs blood because her baby has HDF, I mean, uh, yeah, HDFN. Or, or you may have, you know, um, someone who was an accident victim being airlifted to your hospital um, who, who needs, uh, you know, a massive transfusion. So you can't, you, you have to be uh, open to any possibility that's going to happen in the blood bank. And then you need to be able to problem solve as well as communicate your problem-solving process, not only to your peers, but to surgeons, to pathologists, to uh, operating nurses. And sometimes those people are not going to want to believe you. They're going to want to insist on you giving them what they want, even when it may be in a gray area and might not be um, according to a standard and protocol. And you need to be able to stand in what you know confidently. And one of the things that I have seen um, throughout my career as um, a, a blood banker and in training other blood bankers 
um, and other students in blood banking is that having that confidence and knowing what you know is very, very important. And so when people ask me, well, what has your SBB done for you? It's done a couple of things. Number one, it has helped me to problem solve because the way you solve a problem for this particular patient may be slightly different from the way that you solve a problem next week for a patient in a similar position. Just because their uh, workup may be different, um, the antibodies or, or their uh, diagnosis may be slightly different. So one of the things that my SBB has afforded me is being able to stand and be able to converse and be able to persuade people who uh, have more education than me, um, that are, are above me as far as um, my employer and being able to say, you know what, this is what I can do. This is what um, the standards say. This is what the, 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 the patient is presented with and these are my options. And because I want to provide the best patient care, what you're asking me to do, I cannot do. I cannot issue this blood um, um, without testing it. I cannot um, give you a filter because you know you didn't want to do X, Y, and Z. And so one of the things that uh, having a more specialist degree is gives you that confidence to be able to stand in your knowledge and be able to communicate what you know to other people, stakeholders who may um, not understand why you're doing what you're doing. So a specialist or a technologist actually gives that certification actually gives you, I want to say, um, an added sense of confidence um, so that you can communicate and you can actually share with people um, things that they may not have taken into account when they're looking at patient care. A second thing that an SBB has done, um, SBBs is, it, you know, um, are one of the higher paying professions in the laboratory. And certainly um, money was a factor for me. So when I was looking at where I wanted to go and how I wanted to position myself in my career, one of the reasons why I became a specialist is because I noticed that people that worked in the blood bank, um, and especially in a specialist role, um, they commanded higher salary. So if you're looking to increase your, your, your financial bottom line, I think um, uh, there are several specialty and technologist certifications in the laboratory that can certainly get you there. But even if you are um, interested in a part of the lab that, you know, either there's the certification or the specialist doesn't really afford you any additional monetary income, I still think if you have a passion for it, you should go for it. Because that uh, extra training and that extra certification with your unique experience, you can actually make it your own. And as, as I'm alluding to the previous question you asked, Tawana, um, I'm reminded of stories that I haven't even shared here, how people have gone on using um, training that they've gotten years ago as a veterinarian tech and opened up their own uh, veterinarian blood bank. Uh, my veterinarian, who I take to see my dog, my, 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 um, is actually my, uh, the veterinarian to my dogs, we started talking and I realized that she had her training as an MLS. Guess what? She asked me to work with her to open up a blood bank for dogs. 
because, you know, blood dogs need blood transfusions too. You know, who would have thought? You know, and she has gone on to actually do that. Um, and so who knows what type of, of skill set you can create. And here's the thing, you want to create something that's unique for you. And I feel that getting an extra certification um, and something that you're passionate about, whether it be chemistry, histotechnology, cytotechnology, hematology, I have known um, uh clients that have taken a, a technologist in uh, hematology or a specialist in hematology and has done phenomenal things, um, being asked um, to actually speak at the World Bank uh, uh, on, on disease states and malaria. Why? Because they have that certification as an expert in hematology. So you never know where you're going to use this information. But I think if you have a passion for it, if that's what gets you up in the morning, if that is what you want to do, and you may not want to do it all the time in the laboratory, but if you're constantly thinking about a particular area in the lab and you have a natural inclination to do it, absolutely, I think you need to go for it. And then on the other side of getting that certification, figuring out how you can leverage that along with your, your uh, additional skill set to make it work for you. You have no idea. The world certainly is your oyster. There, you know, you can figure out, hey, maybe I can use this for the lab and then end up traveling um, as an attache for the US Embassy because of your skill set as a cytotechnologist or as a blood banker or as a histotechnologist or you know um, as a specialist in chemistry. You have no idea, but you have to have the certification to actually get in the door and have a seat at the table. That's a good point. And I think that's a, a good background and good uh, examples of how you are able to leverage that and make it work for you. I love that you talked about you know, making the career field work for you and not necessarily following uh, what you think is the model that that you should follow. So our time is almost coming to a close. And of course, I could talk with you all day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, we, we don't have all day to talk. So <laughs> as we get ready to wrap up, I do want the, the listeners to know how to get and stay connected with you, but I also want them to know about some of your programs. So I know that you have your leadership at the movies series that you do that will be coming up, but I want them to get connected with you and understand some of your innovative programs and how they could, you know, get involved in some of those courses. And, uh, those next steps, those those skills and, and qualities that you all are teaching in the programs as well. Absolutely, absolutely. We're Cumetics. Um, my firm is called Cumetics, and you can reach us online at www.cumetics, and that's Q-M-E-D-I-X.org. Um, you can email me directly at professor.eve at cumetics.org. I'm also on Instagram, um, at Cumetics. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, hashtag or um, backslash Eve Brunson um, and Cumetics, or you can actually hit Cumetics' Facebook page. And we are gonna be posting a lot of our future offerings. Right now, we're looking at 
um, getting, we're getting ready to ramp up leadership in the movies, where we actually look at movies that you um, have watched uh, for entertainment over the years. And we're going to be looking at drawing out some of the leadership principles that you, Tawana, and others throughout the field have um, mentioned as far as having leadership traits. Um, you know, everyone, I think, has, has some sort of leadership um, uh, uh, value. But we don't necessarily know how to translate that value. And I think movies offers a unique view in seeing someone else use those leadership traits and then taking what we see in the movies, extrapolating that, kind of um, repackaging that so that we can actually use that same leadership trait um, and those leadership characteristics in um, our daily interaction with others. That includes uh, project management at the movies. Um, beyond the bench is what I've mentioned, looking at jobs and career fields and career opportunities outside of the conventional hospital or clinical laboratory, that's coming in the works. Uh, so uh, transitioning from uh, the bench to supervisor training. Um, one of the things that I think we need to improve on as an industry is help preparing the next um, set of managers um, and leaders to take over some of the critical areas in our laboratory. So we're actually providing uh, some training and some workforce development in that. Those things are going to be posted on the website. They're going to be posted on my social media pages. Um, and certainly, um, you know, if you're definitely interested, go ahead and start to follow us on Facebook, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Instagram. And if you have a burning question or if you want to know how or when, um, we have a newsletter that's going to start in about a week or so. And we would love for you to join our newsletter. Um, just go ahead and type in qmedics.org. Uh, our Google ads should pop up. Uh, and uh, we can actually get you uh, connected so that you can stay connected to QMedics and all of the wonderful programming that we're, we're about to launch. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to some of these programs. I'm looking forward to collaborating with you on some of these programs. So listener audience, make sure that you stay tuned because Eve is offering some awesome things and I can't wait. I'm a movie buff, so I like to watch <laughs> movies. So I know that series is going to be great. So, Absolutely. so as always, we like to leave our listeners with one practical thing that they could implement right away. Or what would you suggest uh, as they listen to this podcast? Wow. Uh, only one. So um, I would say stay curious problem solve and stay resilient. So curiosity gets you to thinking about what's next and what's possible. Problem solving allows you to figure out how you can insert yourself as a solution um, when an opportunity presents itself. And then when the doors close and people tell you no, don't take it as a no, take it as a if then, so yes, it may be a no now, but let me get myself ready and I'm going to come back. And if this happens, then you should be able to, um, you know, let me find that job, give me an opportunity to show what I need. Eve, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. 
Well, thank you so much, Tawana, for having me. I enjoyed it. In the meantime, friends, I hope you have an awesome, awesome week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics, where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.